Um, for this series, today we're going to start the first installment of a four-part series where the topic is sex and relationships and singleness and issues all surrounding that, and we are calling it Made for Love. Once upon a time, I was providing premarital counseling for a couple, and it was session number five, and session number five is where we talk about sex. And the woman, uh, I have a lot of respect for her, very smart, very inquisitive, very serious about her faith. She says to me that she's, you know, looking forward to this, and, and uh, she said to me, you know, I feel like I've learned so much about sex from watching the TV show Sex in the City. And I, I was, you know, I, was, I said, you know, um, tell me what you've learned, because I think in, in a counseling context, it's important to understand context. Also, I was just really curious. I just wanted to know, like, right? So tell me what you've learned. And she says, well, first of all, I've learned that sexual compatibility is really, really important. She's like, do you think that's true? And then, and then she says to me, I've also learned that women have, uh, you know, it seems like, because in, in the show, the women seem to have a power over men because the withholding of sex can be a power that women can use to control men, right? Now, I have to admit in this part of the conversation, I'm just asking questions. I'm not, like, coming against anything she's I just want to know because I, I was, in, in that sense, I was like, I've never had someone just explain it to me so clearly what TV teaches, you know? And so I just, I just wanted, I was just asking more questions. But I, I did come away from that conversation thinking, I think we really need to talk about sex at church. Because just living here in America, you're bombarded by message about sex all the time. And here's my friend who's learning about sex from TV and has all these unanswered questions. And maybe the questions remain unanswered because we don't really talk about sex that much at church. Or we never talk about sex at church. And it's just a dangerous thing for us to hear message about something so often. And then for the church to just be relatively silent about that issue. It's just dangerous. Now, I'll give you one more reason why we really should talk about sex and issues related to sex and so forth. Let me put it like this, okay? Um, If I, I mean, take a good look at me. If I was a perfect 10 pastor in every way, every message, 10, every counseling appointment, every, every decision, 10, right? But, okay, I have this one brokenness in my life, this one deep-seated sexual brokenness where secretly I am unfaithful to my wife. Would that be a problem? Would that be a problem for my ministry? Would that be a problem for my character? Would that be a problem for my relationship with God? Well, it would be. You know, um, some, some people would say, actually, Andrew, by having that deep-seated brokenness, you've actually disqualified yourself for ministry, or at least for a season. So I could be perfect in every way, but have this one thing, and you're telling me it would dis- Yes. Now, here's 
the thing. There are a lot of Christians who have, in a sense, disqualified themselves from ministry, from life with God, and are hurting themselves and their relationships just because of this one issue. Now, now you put this all together. We have a world constantly bombarding us with messages about sex. We have so many Christians who are, are hurting and relationships that are hurting because of sexual brokenness. And the church just cannot afford to be silent about it. We have to talk about it. We have to talk about the cross. We have to talk about Jesus. We have to talk about how he actually takes away shame and restores us. And re- we have to talk about the hope that's in Jesus. And we also have to talk about the issues related to sex. So I hope you can understand why we thought this was important to address for at least four weeks. Now, every message has a main idea. Every message has a main idea. And so for today's message, I'm just going to state it up front. Here it is. Sex is an amazing gift from God designed as a means of knowing him. Let me hear you guys say knowing him. And experiencing super glue community building. Can you guys say community building? With another person in a covenant of marriage. Nice, succinct, memorable. No, no. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit complicated, but we're going to work through. If you just remember those two things, sex is a God-given gift for knowing him and experiencing community building on a very, very deep level, I think you'll be doing well. That's where we're going with the message. Now, I hope in this message to show that because it's designed by God, it is absolutely crucial to practice it God's way. He designed it. He designed it in a way for human flourishing. It needs to be embraced in that way. If it is not embraced in that way, it can do great, great harm. And I'm going to walk you through Scripture and try to show you that that is what Scripture indeed is saying. Okay, let's talk about history. Historically speaking, there have been countless attitudes about sex. First, some people see sex as a natural appetite. It's like eating. It's like sleeping. It's natural. It's a healthy appetite. Second view of sex. We're going to go through this quickly. Some people see sex as a very critical way of self-expression. It's a way to be yourself, to find yourself. Sex is for your fulfillment and for your self-realization. That's the second view of sex historically. Here's the third view. A third view of sex by some people, it's more negative. It's degrading. It's a dirty thing. It's a necessary evil to propagate the human race. That's the third view. Now, the weird thing is that a lot of people think that the Christian view is the third view. I'm actually really happy to say it is not. That is not the Christian perspective. Now, just, to sh- just a show of hands because I'm, I'm curious partially. How many of you have actually received the sex talk from your parents? Raise your hand. Really? So that's like, that's not that many people. Now, I, I am curious for those who have received the sex talk, how, how many of you, the presentation was, you know, was a, a whole picture presentation, but how many of you, was, it was more of a negative talk? Like, here, like, don't do it. That was the talk, right? Like, how many of you, 
It was more like that. Okay, not, not that many. Oh, actually, that's pretty good. <clears throat> so most of you have never received the talk, is what I'm hearing. <laughs> okay, th- maybe this might be your first sex talk. I, I'm so happy to give it to you, right? I, wow, okay. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I know a mom, and it was time to talk to her kids about sex, and so the presentation basically came out as, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but really, it came out as, no sex for you. That's, that's how it came out. It, it was like, you know, sex, premarital sex is really bad, okay? People do it. It hurts. It, it hurts. It's unco- it, it, you get pregnant. You have to drop out of school. Don't do it. Very damaging to your soul. You get used. Just don't do it. Now, now um, I just want to say, I know where the mom is coming from, right? And I, I just, but I also want to say this, I fear that a talk like that will meet with maybe some internal, maybe some later on resistance and rebellion because it's just a big no. I, I'm happy to say that the biblical view, generally speaking, is a lot more positive now, of course, human beings have a way of taking a really good gift from God and just degrading it and disobeying his commands and making it a dirty thing. But generally speaking, this is a wonderful, awesome, glorious gift from God. <clears throat> Don't get me wrong. The mom did speak truth. It's just not the whole truth. The Bible's not down on sex. God created sex. It wasn't demeaning. It wasn't dirty. It was glorious. Now, there's going to be like four points about sex. The first one is that God created sex to be glorious. Sex is glorious. In Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, we have a very interesting two verses. It's a bit of a mystery, actually. Actually, Paul actually says it's a mystery, literally, in the verses. These are two verses from perhaps the most profound passage on marriage in the entire Bible. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I just want to simplify things here, okay? Paul is talking about marriage and the holding fast and the two becoming one flesh. I mean, clearly he's talking about sex. He's probably also talking about having a child from that union. But it's undeniable. Paul's talking about marriage and sex, right? You go, right, yeah. Well, no, hold it. Verse 32. This is a profound... This is mystery is profound. What, 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 okay, what mystery? And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Whoa, what? I thought we were talking about marriage and sex. What does that mean? Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever like, read the, this verse. It is kind of weird. It's like, what, what, do you, what, what is Paul, okay, what is Paul talking about? Paul, he is making a connection between marriage and sex and Christ and the church. And what he means by this is that marriage and sex is a shadow. And Christ and the church are the real thing. 
Now, it means that marriage and sex are like a living parable. And it's true of any living parable. It's pointing to some reality up there and in the future. So marriage and sex is pointing to the self-giving, self-sacrificing love between Christ and his church. And the reason it is so exciting is because the love between Christ and his church is electrifying and soul-satisfying. And when it is consummated, when Christ comes back, it is going to be all that and so much more. That's what Paul is saying. So what does this mean? Well, for people who are married and they have this covenant, the, the sex that you are having is a glorious thing and it's pointing to some beautiful realities that are true right now and true to be consummated later on. And it's good now because it's going to be a thousand times better later on. Now, I was just talking to married people, but this has huge implications for single people. What do I mean by that? Uh, I remember uh, hearing someone say that they're, they're being honest and they're saying they, they're not really all that excited about Jesus coming back. And when you peel the layer, like, why, why, why? Well, it's because I never had sex yet. And I know that in the new age there won't be sex. And so I would rather, I, you know, I, I don't want them to come back just yet. Now, I mean, with all grace to this brother who was thinking that, I, I don't think the brother really understands. Now, um, I will give you an example of what I mean, Okay. Uh, so, Danny, can you just stand up? And Yan, can you just stand up for just a second, okay? Now, I just want you to pretend that because I am very, I'm super generous, tomorrow I'm going to give each of you a Tesla Roadster. Yes. It, it, it cost 100 grand, by the way, so you probably would be a little bit more excited than that. But, but okay, that's, that's, that's a big car. That's a very expensive car. Now, it's happening tomorrow. All right? Now, here's the thing. I have a picture of that Tesla right here on my phone, and I show it to Denny. Isn't that nice? Woo! Right? And so Denny's looking at this car going, wow, that's really cool. That's really awesome. Pretty excited. But I don't show any of that to Yan. <laughs> Tomorrow, they both get a Roadster. Now, here's my question. Did Yan miss anything by not seeing the picture? And the answer is, no. <laughs> he just got a roadster. He's going to be in that road. He's going to be cruising, right? He has not missed a thing. That is my point. Now, now here's the thing. If sex is ultimate and you're like, oh, I haven't had, well, yeah, I guess you're going to miss it. But. If sex is pointing to the reality of an ultimate consummation, if you're a single, you never have, you won't miss a thing. It's the shadow. Don't you want the reality? And you understand that the reality is going to be so much better. You guys can sit down. Now, I, I got to point this out. Because if sex were the ultimate, it would be an idol. And God has made it so that this thing is glorious, but it is not the ultimate. And if you don't have it, but you are in Christ, you will not miss a thing. Now, what does this do? This sets a foundation for those who are called to celibacy. 
And it says, you will not miss a thing. It is going to be so glorious. It is going to be so awesome. Maybe some of you are called to a season of celibacy. You will not miss a thing. And that needs to be said. Okay, point number two. Sex is not for me, but for us. Sex is not for me, but for us. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5. We're going to go through this in a quick way. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. Now let me try to explain this quickly. Conjugal rights mean sexual relationships. I know this may not sound very romantic, but if you peel between the layers, it is actually quite sentimental. Now let me, let me, let me uh, explain what I mean by that. First of all, this passage is very egalitarian. It's written in a Roman culture where the norm is that you have sex with your spouse to produce an heir. But you have sex with a mistress for fun and for joy and for excitement. That was the Roman culture that this was written in in, in the context of. But what you see here is Paul saying, no, 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 no. Have fun and joy and delight with your spouse. Do not deprive one. What does deprive mean? It's to withhold something that you would enjoy, that the other person would enjoy. So if he's saying do not deprive, it means enjoy, give towards enjoyment. This is kind of radical. Paul is saying, no, the sexual covenant is a place for that enjoyment. Enjoy your spouse. And it's also egalitarian. It's almost like this, this backhanded message to the guy. Look, you know, uh, her body does belong, but, but your body belongs to her. Your body belongs to her, you know. Now, so if you belong to each other and you don't deprive, so you provide for the other person's enjoyment, what does it mean? It means that sex is not just for me. It's actually for the other person. Sex is for the other person. Now, a lot of people think that sex is for me, and so they enter into, that, into the encounter with that kind of perspective. It's to meet my needs, and that's just not the right way to think about sex. Now, God has created sex, and so it has to be entered into and practiced God's way. And God has made this to be a very unselfish act. Now, here's the thing. If you are selfish with sex, the guarantee is that you're going to get less, and it's going to be less enjoyable for everyone over time. But if you are generous, if you are thinking about the joy of the other person, then, ironically, it does mean more sex for you and better sex over time. Kind of funny how that works, huh? It is meant to be unselfish. It is meant to be other-focused. And it is really beautiful. Now, I don't know if what I just said smells good to you. I don't know if, it, if, it, if there's an echo in what I just... Now, what, what I mean by that... 
it just, it would, it would make sense to me if, if marriage is a living parable that points to the relationship that Christ and his people have, then it would make sense to me that the marriage act, that, that sex itself, somehow is representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that's a weird concept, but have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought that the act of sex itself embodies a gospel principle? So when Jesus died, he empties himself for the glory of God and for the joy of his people. And his death is bringing life to everyone. There is a gospel principle there. Now in the act of sex, God has designed men and women to be very different. And the way that they give and receive pleasure is very different. And the only way that both can be satisfied is that each party has to say, I'm dying to myself, I'm dying to the way I want it, and I'm living to please the other person. And then when they do that, there's joy for both people, and there's better life, there's better joy. Can it be that in this act itself, God has hidden the gospel principle so that all people who know the joy of sex would also somehow be pointed to some reality that's true in Jesus dying for his people. And it's by him emptying himself unselfishly that he is giving joy to that relationship, that he is giving joy to his people. I don't know. I've been um, thinking about these principles for a long time. Never had really the opportunity to share it. I just think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, Point number three. Sex is for intimacy between two people united on all levels. Let me hear you guys say all levels. Okay, the first mention of sex is in the Bible in Genesis 2.24. And if you're turning there, you probably want to put another uh, uh, finger on um, 1 Corinthians 6.17. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife... And they shall become one flesh. Now the word one flesh, is, it's a figure of speech. Where it's one part that's being used to represent a whole. Okay? One part used to represent a whole. So in other words, marriage is a union between two people that's so profound that they virtually become a whole new single person. Okay, hold on to that thought. Let's go to 1 Corinthians six seventeen. Do you not know that a person who is united in intimacy with a prostitute is one body with her? So sex is not just sex, it's not just one thing, it's not just a physical act. But Paul is saying that if you have sex with a prostitute, you are one fleshing with her. Okay? You are one fleshing with her. Which means that sex is sacred because it co-creates a new soul. Or put it like this, it's two atoms, some of you will will appreciate it, Uh, Just two atoms coming together to form a whole new compound. It's a molecule. It's a different entity. You become a new soul, in a sense. It means that you merge in a legal way, in a social way, in an economic way, in an emotional way. It means you lose your independence. It means you're fused and you're merged into one. Now, sex is perhaps the most powerful God-created way for a person to give their entire self to another person, okay? That's, his, that's in the design. 
Now, uh, one more verse. This is from 1 Corinthians 6.18, and Paul writes this. Flee from sexual immorality. Okay, you've probably heard that message before, but there's more. I want you to look at the reason why. Why should I flee from sexual immorality? Look at the reason that Paul gives. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So why is it unwise and why is it hurtful on multiple levels for us to have sex outside of marriage? Well, reason number one that Paul gives is that it's really actually hurtful to you. Now, you're going to have to explain that, Pastor Andrew. Why is it hurtful to me? Um, this, is, this is perhaps the best way that I can explain it. Okay, so I'm explaining that um, the, the act of sex is like two atoms coming together and they're bonded to form a molecule. So in a sense, the act of sex, it's like a superglue. Now, I don't know if you've thought of sex like that. I definitely know that on TV, they're not, that's not how it's demonstrated. But if it has this complete fusion quality, then sex is like a superglue. So sex, in a sense, is like duct tape. Right? So, everyone, when they're born, they have, like, a strip of duct tape, and that's their soul. Right? Now, when you have sex with another person, it's like your soul is fused. It's duct taping to another person, and you're becoming this one single new molecule individual. Now, here's the thing. Do I want to take my duct tape, and some people are backing away. I get that. Okay. And, and do I want to, like, merge it over here, right? Do I want to do that? And if, if this person is not my spouse and willing to merge with me on every level, or, or do I want to go a little bit over here and do that? Or maybe it's a longer-term relationship, but they're not willing to give their entire self to me for all of their life. Do I want to go over here? Now, what, every time I do that, what's happening to my duct tape? It's getting less sticky. Yes. Now, let me tell you something, guys. In marriage and in life, this world is really hard. You're talking to a person who's married. Marriage, marriage is tough. And there are forces in the world. Actually, there's forces inside yourself that are driving you apart. You need every ounce of stickiness that sex can provide so that you will be inseparable because there are forces that are trying to pull you apart. You need that. You want that. And if your soul is less sticky, it's going to do harm to you. It's going to do harm to your future marriage. And I don't want that for you. I don't think you want that for you. I don't think God wants that for you. So there's practical implications. The idea is that God has designed it in a way that if you obey him, not only are you an obedient child, but you're doing what's best for you and for your life and for your soul and for your future marriage. Now, having said that, I want you to know that if you have had sex outside of marriage, I want to talk to you about a different message. No shame. Last message and everything that we talked about on Easter totally applies to you in every way, which means that when Jesus died on the cross, all the shame, whatever you did, 
that was unlawful according to what God has commanded, that went on the cross. There's no shame for you. There's new hope. There's new life. There's forgiveness and new joy. I do want you to hear that. Uh, I, I remember um, one time uh, I was having dinner with a bunch of guys, and these are guys just want just keeping it really real, and I, I appreciate that conversation. We're talking about sex, and these guys um, pretty much um, the ones who were talking the most they they had sex with um, multiple partners, and they were sharing with me how hard it is to find the right person and to get married and to settle down. So one person was just being really honest with me, and he says, you know, I had this girlfriend, and we, we, had, we, had, we were very sexually compatible, but she didn't have this, and she didn't have that, and so we broke up. And then sometime later, I found another girl, and um, she had those other things that the other woman didn't have, but our sexual compatibility wasn't there, so we broke up. And so at this moment, I'm in this conversation, and he turns to me and says, what about you? Do you ever have that problem? And he, and, and so, and I looked around, I'm like, I'm the only married person here. And so I said, well, honestly, I haven't really been with anyone else. I've only been with Raina. And so we just kind of learned how to do it together. And then he turns to me and he goes, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but he, he turned to me and he goes, wow, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> now, no, I didn't take it like he was shaming me because the context was that they were just having a bunch of problems that honestly I just didn't have. And I think at that point I, I sort of realized that if you have had more than one partner, and it's just so practical, but I guess you compare. You kind of go, well, this person did that for me, and this person did this for me, and I, I don't know. Maybe I, I was thinking that sounds like a disadvantage. I don't want to be with my wife and, think, and comparing. I just want to be satisfied in her. And so when Paul says, you know, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body, maybe that's kind of what Paul is talking about. It's not good. Why? Well, it's not good for you. Why? Well, you, you probably might compare, and you don't need that. You don't need that in your life. Okay, number, uh, number four. Sex is for deepening unity as the years go by. Sex is for deepening unity as the years go by. Uh, Raina and I were in premarital counseling, and we were asked if sex ever gets boring. And so I, I deferred to my wife on that one. And my wife goes, um, no. And then she goes, and yes. <laughs> and I'm looking at her, what? What do you mean, and Yes. Here's what she said. She says, it loses the thrill of novelty, but it's deeper and it's richer as time goes on. That's pretty good, right? If if sex is the unselfish, self-giving, self-sacrificing act of love, then it would make sense that it would be richer and deeper as time goes on. I, I think of sex between a marriage couple for the first time after a miscarriage, and they're so, you know, just so tender with one another, and their lovemaking is mixed with hope and pain, but there's a deeper love that's happened. Can you imagine that being deep and rich? 
that in a sense is a lovemaking that pleases God on a whole new level. I think of a, of a couple that might be struggling with cancer and maybe the cancer's in re- remission and they're coming together to make love for the first time and the tenderness and they're thinking about all that they've been through and how they've been standing with each other. That's sex. That's sex. Or I think of a couple who is struggling with impotence and the other is patient and kind with the other. The other cover, seeks to cover their shame. That's sex. That's beautiful. That pleases God on a whole new level. It's not the novelty of erotic sex, but the depth and the richness of a love that has matured over time. In the book of Proverbs 5.19, now look, I want you to know that what I'm doing right now is I'm reading scripture, all right? Now read this. These are words from scripture. Proverbs 5.19, a lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times. Let me hear you guys say all times. With delight. Be intoxicated always, always in her love. Now, now look at this. Just a few observations here, but this verse is written in the form of a command. Let her, you know, it's, it is. But look at the words, delight, intoxicated, always, at all times. You mean even when I'm old and gray? You mean even when it's lost its thrill? You mean even when it's not convenient? You mean even when it's a gift for the other person? Sex is not just being commanded, but it's described as something that's glorious, beautiful, exciting at all times. And for people who are married, I want to bless you. I want you to have great sex. Yes, your pastor stood in the pulpit today, blessing your marriages, blessing your marriage beds, and saying, have great sex, okay? Because it's commanded in Scripture. But it's hard, because not everyone in the room is married. Different people are in different places, and so I need to speak to different people in different places. For those of you who have had sex outside of marriage, I don't want you to feel discouraged. I don't want you to come out of here feeling discouraged. I want you to feel new in Jesus, and I want you to have hope. Do you know what Jesus did on that cross for you? Do you know that all of your brokenness went on to him? Do you know what it means to live in new life and new joy? Do you know that all that shame went on to Jesus? Do you know that you're new? True story of a woman who had a past and she had had sex with a lot of people and then she met a man and she fell in love, and they got married. And soon after getting married, because of shame, she didn't tell him. And then after they were married, she told him about her past. Now, he had saved himself for her, and so he was sad, and he was hurt, and he left the house. And she was devastated. He came back, and he bought and he brought her this dress, and he asked her to put it on. So she put on this dress. It was beautiful. It was white. It was shining. And he said to her, in Christ, your past was washed away. You are clean. You are new. You are beautiful. You are new. 
And if that's how Christ sees you, that's how I see you too. Jesus Christ has that power. He makes us new. Our past is in the past. Jesus makes us new. You need to know that hope, and that hope is for you. Now, I'd like to leave you with one last story. It's my own. On a message like this, I, I do have the staff kind of help me and give me some feedback, and uh, I didn't want to share my own story. I, I don't know. I didn't want people to look at me and go, ew, gross, but, you know, there's no way around that. <laughs> if it'll help people, I'm willing to. When uh, Rain and I started dating, we made an agreement that we wanted to be pure and holy before God. And so we made a physical boundary in our relationship. Now, I'm, I'm not going to be a Pharisee. I'm not going to say, hey, you have to have this boundary too. It just, for us, the way that we reasoned it, and this is the way that we made sense of it, is just, you know how marijuana is a gateway drug you don't know that good, but <laughs> you're like, well, in my own history, yeah, it started with marijuana. It is a gateway drug by meaning that you start with that and then you're well on your way to other things. And so the way that we reasoned is that it must be the same thing with uh, being physically intimate. What is the trigger? What is the gateway drug of uh, physical intimacy? And we reasoned it's kissing. So we made a covenant with one another. We're not going to kiss until we get engaged, if we get engaged. And I'm just going to say, it was really hard, okay? It was really hard. And here's the thing, I'm not perfect. It's like, here's the line. I'm telling you, we did everything as close to the line as possible, okay? Like, hey, you kissed on the neck, and I kiss, you know, right, right? It was really hard, especially for Raina. Uh, she needed so much prayer from her girls, you know. Hard to resist. Hard to resist. On the day of our engagement, we had our first kiss. On the day of our wedding day, uh, because we had premarital counseling, we, we decided, okay, you know, we're not going to do it on the wedding night because we're all really tired, you know, and we want to be at our peak performance. Um, so we're, we're not going to do it. But here's the thing. After 20 years of, 28 years of waiting, we're like, oh my gosh, we could. And so we did because we didn't want to wait another day. And I would be lying to you if I didn't say that it was awesome and it was joyful, it was glorious. I wasn't very good at it at first, but we grew, we got better, we got better together. I can say to you now that in my marriage, we are like super glue bonded. We are. I mean, I mean there are certain issues that we, we don't struggle with, and it's good because, because in ministry and being a pastor, it ain't easy, and in, it's hard. We, we needed God's grace in the super glue bondedness that we have in our marriage. Now, I'm a pastor, and, and, and there, there are a, a, a fair number of people who are still virgins, and I just say, it's worth it. Keeping yourself pure is worth it. It is worth it. It's worth it in your relationship with God. It's worth it in your future relationship. And I do want to say, well, you know, but I haven't. Right. 
but there is a sexual purity in Christ that is worth fighting for, and you are clean, and you are made new. So you got to fight for that sexual purity. It's not easy, but God will give you the resources because you are new again, and it's worth still fighting. And again, I, people are in different places than people who are married. Yes, yes, my word to you was have great sex. Have it glorify the Lord. There are different people in different places, and you need to hear a different message. That's fine. That's cool. Some of you recall the celibacy during this time. That's cool. You know something? You will not miss a thing. There are things that you can do in this place of singleness that people who are married just can't do. Live in the fullness of God's calling for you, because God has great plans whatever season you are in. Make it a good one. Live for the glory of God in all that you do. If you're married, live for his glory. If you're single, live for his glory. If you're a virgin, live for his glory. If you're not, he's made you new, live for his glory. We're all living for his glory to the one who gave himself to us so that we might have life. So let's pray. Father, we uh, now are going to come to the communion table. And I pray that it would be a rich time of intimacy with you. I thank you that you have given us something that is better than sex. If sex is a shadow, then the real thing is relationship with Jesus. And now we just want to celebrate our relationship with Jesus here at the Lord's table. And I pray that in so many ways, in so multiple levels that this uh, time of communion with you will be soul-satisfying and it's going to speak of the joy that is to come when Jesus comes back. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, asking that you would bless the Lord's Supper. Amen.